You guys ought to go check out their college uh, display. I tell you, Christian college is important. It really is. You ought to think about going to Christian college. I'm thankful for my time at Christian college, my time teaching Christian college. Tremendous opportunity. And, you know, uh, God has different colleges for different people and different backgrounds. There's, there's a lot of good ones out there for sure. You ought to pray about it. You ought to visit as many as you can. You ought to get all the information you can. You ought to talk to your pastor about it and ask him what he thinks. You don't want to go to a college that would be uh, so different from your home church that you wouldn't you know, feel comfortable and that your pastor wouldn't feel comfortable. But a lot of these good colleges that are coming to these events are usually well within what your church and your pastor and your parents uh, would encourage you to do. And so uh, I'll I tell you, what a, great, what a great opportunity to have these groups at these meetings like this. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts chapter number 13. The book of Acts chapter 13, I said earlier that my goal during these three messages was to address three subjects that, that, that would be relative to the point of this whole meeting. And uh, I, I've been in situations before where uh, I didn't uh, always think that I, that I fit the theme so well, but this conference is very specific. It's not just another youth conference, it's designed again, to stir up some things that happen maybe at camp. And so, in my experience at camp and, and uh, preaching to teens for many years and, and working at a Christian camp for six summers, um, I, I, I do think there are, there are some things that, that hinder your progress after camp. One, this morning we looked at, was, was having a genuine, personal relationship with God. That, that's the key. If you don't have that, none of the other stuff matters. It's just, it's just formalities at that point. But I think there is also a, a, an issue that happens from time to time when you leave a camp that can derail you very, very quickly if you're not careful. In 2004, the American League Championship Series in baseball featured the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. It's best out of seven-game series. First team to win four games wins the series. Something happened in that series that never happened before and has never happened since and may not ever happen again. The Yankees were winning the series three games to none and were down, I believe, to two outs in the ninth inning against the Red Sox to seal a sweep of the Red Sox in game number four. In game number four in the ninth inning, the Red Sox scored a tying run, sending the game into overtime, or overtime, that's football, <laughs> or basketball, extra innings, and in those extra innings, the Red Sox actually won game four, and then they won game five, and then they won game six, and then they won game seven. Never before had a team been down three games to none in the American League Championship Series or World Series and come back to win the series. Not only did they win that series, they also went on that year to win the World Series. It has been called by baseball people the greatest comeback in baseball sports history. And we've certainly seen the same thing in NBA Finals of recent years, the Super Bowl last year, an amazing comeback. And we could go on and on and on. It, 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 no matter who you are, okay, and no matter if you like sports or not, one thing is, is probably true, you enjoy comebacks. Even if, you, even if you don't know what's going on in the game, if you know and feel the energy of a comeback, it's pretty exciting because comebacks are awesome in sports. But comebacks are better in life. 
One thing that can absolutely derail what happened to you at camp is if you go away from camp on fire, moving forward with some goals and some vision of what your life is going to be or what it's going to become, only to find yourself three or four weeks in uh, to the fall or into the season of Christian school or whatever, only to find yourself failing in an area that you thought you were going to succeed in. And I think one of the greatest hindrances to camp lasting all throughout the year is knowing what to do when you mess up. Let's just face it. Everybody in this room is going to mess up. There's no question about it. I don't care how on fire for God you are right now, what camp meant to you uh, this summer. Uh, you have fallen on your face since camp. I have fallen on my face since yesterday. There's not a person in this room that does not sin, that does not do good at sin, and doesn't sin often enough that you could write a book on sin. So the question is, what do you do when you sin? How do you, how do you, how do you follow up with that? And, and, and there's a story in the Bible that is relative to this subject, and it's a story of, of, of a relatively unknown guy in the Bible named John Mark. Now the Bible says in, in Acts chapter 13, in verse number 9, the Bible says, excuse me, go down to verse 13. Then when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. Now watch this, and John departing from them, return to Jerusalem. Now that may not seem like a big deal to you, but when you turn over to Acts chapter 15 and you see kind of the rest of the story, you realize that what happened in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, was rather significant. So go over to Acts chapter 15, please, and, and toward the back half of the chapter, look at verse 36, where the Bible says, And someday after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Now let me stop and give you just a little bit of background. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter number 13 becomes the central figure of the entire book. If you wanted to break down the book of Acts, okay, into two sections, you'd break it down into Acts chapter 1 through 12, where the focus of the ministry is Jerusalem. The key figure of the book is Peter. In fact, if you backtrack to Acts chapter 12, the whole entire chapter basically is about Peter. In Acts chapter 13 verse 1, we find the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 13 verse 1, the gospel goes global. And, and, and it, it goes from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then the church in Antioch then begins to plant churches all throughout the Mediterranean region. And there are three missionary journeys, okay, surrounding the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, the first missionary journey is in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Okay, the second one is in Acts chapter, uh, uh, the end of chapter 15 through really chapter 18 and 19. And then the third one uh, happens after that. And Paul's life and his ministry becomes the centerpiece of the story. So in Acts chapter 13, Paul is leaving his home church in Antioch. When he leaves his home church, he takes a team with him. His team was made up of three people. It was Paul, it was Barnabas, and it was this young guy named John Mark, who coincidentally happened to be the nephew of Barnabas. So it was, again, Paul, John Mark, and Barnabas. So Acts 13 and 14, they go out to start the first level of missionary journeys in an area called Asia Minor. This is on the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea, if you were to look at a, a map of Israel. And, 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 and what happens is when they go out, they go to Cyprus first. When they go from Cyprus, which was an island, they then take their boats north and they're going to go into that area. When they get to that area, 
The Bible says that this, this kid, John Mark, turns around and departs from them, okay? So now they've come home. They've, they've started these churches. They've come home. Now they come home in Acts chapter 15. They've regrouped. They've rested. They've reported. We call that today furlough. When a missionary comes home to their home church, reports of what has happened, gets a little rest from their mission, gets resupplied, refired up, and they get sent back out, okay? So in Acts chapter 15, Paul looks at Barnabas and says, let's go back to the churches we started and let's go see how the brethren do. And the next part of the chapter says that Barnabas said, okay, well, let's do that and let's take John Mark with us. And then the Bible says Paul did not think that was a good idea because John Mark had departed from them from the work in Pamphylia. So when you read Acts chapter 13, it looks like John Mark just decided to go home and there was not really a, that big of a deal. But when you read Acts chapter 15, you find out it was a big deal, especially to Paul. Such a big deal that he did not want to go again and try, give John Mark a second chance again. Now, 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 I want you to understand that John Mark in this story, in Acts chapter 13, is probably a young man, could be a teenager, without a doubt, a young adult at the, at the most. You say, how do you know that? Well, skip back to Acts chapter 12, okay? And in your outline, I want to point out something about John Mark to you. Number one, uh, when you think of this, don't, don't forget your God-given privileges. John Mark is a guy who messed up, okay? He made a mistake. He had an opportunity to go out and serve with the Apostle Paul, and he messed it up. And when you mess up, there are oftentimes things that we fail to consider when we mess up. And in John Mark's case, there were two of them. So I'm going to fill out some blanks for you, and then I'm going to, then I'm going to say what I want to say, okay? Letter A, he had a God-fearing family. Okay, and letter B, he had a God-ordained opportunity. So in Acts chapter 12 and Acts chapter 13, we learn that John Mark was a privileged man, but that John Mark, in fact, walked away from his privileges. Now you say, how do you know John Mark was young? Well, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, the first time we were introduced to John Mark, we learned that John Mark had a, was living with his mother, a woman by the name of Mary. And John Mark was in that prayer meeting at Mary's house that helped Peter get released from prison. I think it's interesting that the first thing you read about John Mark in the Bible is it tells us who his mother was. Now, that's not always the case, uh, but, but there is something about his, his upbringing that's very significant. For instance, uh, in the life of Samson, okay, Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. There's four chapters on Samson. Do you know that the entire chapter 13 is, talks about his mom and his dad? Did you know that? So out of four chapters, one entire chapter is given to his parents. Why is that? The answer is because his fall, Samson's fall, was so significant mainly because he had the privilege of a lifetime to grow up in a God-fearing family like he did. And I think the same thing's true with John Mark. John Mark grew up around it, if you will. Some of y'all are doing this, okay? Some of y'all are growing up around it. Some of you, your parents are heavily involved in church. They're heavily involved in ministry. Some of your parents are probably even in this room right now. They're just fully engaged in your life. They're fully engaged in you going to church. They're, 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 they're super invested in your spiritual well-being. And by the way, that's a good thing. Can I get an amen right there? That is a good thing. You ought to be thankful for that. It ought to be a big deal to you. It ought to matter in your life if that's true. And by the way, if it's not true, that doesn't give you an excuse not to serve God. There's a bunch of examples in the Bible of people that had messed up families or uninvolved parents or split up families like Joseph and Jacob and all the mess those guys grew up in. But they still found a way to live for God. And by the way, no matter if you've got good parents or not, you can find a way to live for God too. That's your choice. 
But John Mark, when he failed, he failed to consider that he had this God-given opportunity. Uh, he had a God-given privilege of growing up in the family he did, but he also had a God-given opportunity to travel and minister with the Apostle Paul and with his uncle Barnabas, arguably two of the greatest Christians in the entire New Testament. And so when John Mark failed, he forgot his God-given privileges. Number two in your outline, he forsook his God-given responsibilities. Now, I'm getting the, the point of the message today is number three, so just hang tight. I'm going to get there. I've got a limited time in this message, so I'm trying to scoot through the, the introductory stuff to get to the point. But number two is this. He forsook his God-given opportunities. What, what was it in chapter 13 when it says he departed from them? This departure was a choice of his will to abandon his responsibility on the missionary team. He left his team shorthanded. He created, by the way, division and strife among Paul and Barnabas. Guys, listen, no matter how you cut it, this guy did not make a wise choice. And there's lots of speculation out there why he did it. And there might be a lot of speculation in your life as to why you messed up after camp. I mean, I mean, if you read Acts chapter 13 again, I'm being very, very uh, summarizing right now because of my time. But listen very carefully. Do you understand that in Acts chapter 13, two things could have happened in the life of John Mark, and I believe they're letter A and B in your outline. Number one, he could have had a problem with people. And number two, he, had, he, uh, he could have had an issue with, 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 uh, with problems. Let me see this. Uh, uh, let me see what, uh, sorry, I should have been paying attention to this. Yeah, consider the source of his departure, and then letter B, consider the seriousness of his departure. Guys, I taught in college. I used to hate blanks. That's why I almost didn't send in outlines, really, Andrew, because I don't follow outlines. Anyway, so I hate outlines because my college students, you know, I'd be in the middle of this awesome lecture. Guy raised his hand. Sir, I miss blank number B. Can you repeat blank B? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, let me back up and do blank B. So consider the source of his departure and consider the seriousness of his departure. What was the source of his departure? Well, I think one thing could be true, that people could have challenged his, 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 his Christian walk. If you read chapter 13, two things happen in chapter 13. Number one, Paul has this amazing showdown with a guy. As soon as he gets to Cyprus, he, I mean, he, calls, he calls this guy full of the devil and full of all subtlety. And he has this amazing confrontation with this guy. And I think John Mark may have thought he was going like, uh, you know, on, on a Disneyland cruise. Or maybe he thought he was going to like, you know, Six Flags for the rest of his life. He was thinking, this is cool. I get to ride on boats with Paul. I get to do all this cool stuff with Uncle Barney and all these fun things that I'm going to get to do. And then he realized, you know what? Ministry is about people. And working with people gets real ugly real fast. And it's not all that it's cracked up to me. And by the way, for some of you young men right now, that you are aspiring ministry you say what do I do right now I'm in ninth grade and I want to be in the ministry let me tell you what to do get close to God and learn how to love people that's what you need to do because the fact of the matter is if you don't love people and you don't love God you may as well find out a different job to do because people are ugly and grace is messy and rebuilding lives is not easy and counseling people and preaching sermons and watching people walk out on you when you've served them and loved them and cared for them that is not for wimps so next time you think your pastor doesn't do anything, just slap yourself. Like as hard as you can. I mean, just slap your whole face off if you ever think that. That would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> Guys, let me tell you something. You get in the ministry for more than five seconds, and you're going to get bumped around by people. You're going to get hurt. You're going to see some things. You're going to see. There are things you have to stand on 
There's truth you have to stand on, and it's not always received well, and it just gets U-G-L-Y sometimes. And I'm sure that as John Mark was sitting back munching on his popcorn, watching Paul destroy this dude with this, this, this scathing sermon, I'm sure he was like, oh, wait a second. I didn't think it was going to be all like this. But if you want to serve people, sometimes it's just going to be like that. Not only that, there's something else interesting in chapter 13. The Bible says in verse 9 that Saul's name gets changed to Paul. Have you ever noticed that? This is the chapter. When you meet Saul in chapter 9, his name is Saul. Chapter 13, his name gets changed to Paul, and that's what he becomes known for. I notated earlier that John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas, and I cannot say this dogmatically, this is completely conjecture, but could it be possible that as Barnabas fades from the forefront of ministry and Paul takes the center stage of ministry, there is, it's very likely that there could have been some jealousy as far as ministerial position here. Again, I can't be sure about that, but I know human nature. And I know how difficult it is sometimes to see something happen that maybe you don't think should have happened. And by the way, Barnabas had a lot to do with, John, or with Paul's success early on in his life. And I don't know if John Mark was kind of like, what's up with that? My uncle's a good man. My uncle's faithful. Why can't he be the leader? Why is this happening? I'm not sure. But I will tell you this, young person. If you get knocked off of your zeal and your pursuit of God from camp, it could very well be that it's a person that had something to do with it. I mean, after all, Paul said to the Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who is it that got you off track? Is it a friend? Is it somebody at school? Is it a, a boyfriend or girlfriend? Is it, is, it a, is it a friend that you play sports with? Who is it that kind of started peppering you with bad ideas about God or bad ideas about life and all of a sudden they pulled you the wrong way? And young person, I've been around teenagers long enough to know that nine times out of ten, when you get off track, it's usually because of somebody else in your life that helps you get off track. Man, you don't let people do that to you. By the way, let me make something very clear to you, young people, because this is so hard for you to understand. If your relationship with somebody is built around sin, and it is sin that keeps you together, that is a really bad friendship. It, it, let me explain how it's not a friendship at all. You stop sinning, you stop having a friend. That'll show you just how much of a friend you actually have. That's not much of a friend at all. I've got good friends whom I disagree with on things, but we are friends because our friendship is bigger than, it is, is, is rooted in our relationship with Christ. So we don't have to agree on every little theological point. We don't have to dot our I's and cross our T's exactly like, but we have a mature friendship because it's not built on that. It's built on our relationship with God. Y'all catching what I'm stepping in here? What I'm trying to tell you is this, that if your friendship is all built on some kind of sin or some kind of uh, thing that's not right with God, guess what? That friendship's not going to last very long, especially if you start living for the Lord. It's going to get challenged, and it should get challenged if it's not a good friendship. People can throw you off. But not only did people throw him off, I believe the problems threw him off. When you look at the map, if you look at a topographical map of where he was on the southern edge of the, Med or excuse me, the northern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, and you were to look at the topography of that area, uh, Pamphylia and Paphos, you're looking at a very rugged mountain area. To get to the cities that they were trying to get to, there was going to be some very rough terrain that they were going to try to cross. You know, the Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. There is something about just the regular grind of life 
that bumps people out. Any preachers in this room understand that. You understand there are times in people's lives where the grind of life or the difficulties of life can cool people off. Hey, young person, are you, are you, are you without uh, ability to have some tough times in your life? There's some of you right now since camp this summer. You've had some bad things happen in your life. You've had some difficult things with school or with family or with health or with something like that. If you're not careful, you will let the problems uh, create in you a why that does not have a satisfactory answer in your life. And you will be tempted to run away from the Lord in your relationship with the Lord. And by the way, let me just stop and say this. If your relationship with the Lord is primarily built around the fact that he makes you feel good and he makes you comfortable and everything's easy around him, you're not going to have a relationship with the Lord very long. You've got to be able to endure some difficulties. Whatever the problem was, it doesn't matter. Let me tell you what doesn't matter. The seriousness of his departure is that he walked away from his responsibilities. He left his friends shorthanded. And the worst part about it all is that this was God's will for his life and he turned and ran away from it, and he made a mess of things really early. But you know what? That's not the point of the sermon this afternoon. You say, well, okay, I thought you were talking about getting up when you, when, when you fall. I am, because guess what? At the end of point number two, thank God it's not the end of John Mark's story. John Mark was able to go on and recover in his life. Think about this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. says, bring John Mark to me, for he is profitable to me for ministry. Do you know who said that? Paul said that. Do you know when Paul said that? He said that later toward the end of his life. That means that where he didn't want to take John Mark with him in Acts chapter 15, sometime later in his life, he found that John Mark was productive again. Does that excite anybody in the room to know that you can go from failure to success in life? That you can go from uselessness to usefulness? That, that you can be a person that, 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 that nobody would even want to take to a person that you say, bring them with you? How about this? Okay, you guys ready? We have a group exercise we're going to do right now. I want you to say the first four books of the New Testament with me. Ready? Go. Matthew, Mark. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, I just want to make sure I heard you right. Okay, let's back up. Let's back up. Are you ready? Let's do this again. I just want to make sure I'm clear. Ready? Go. Matthew, Mark, what? Did you say Mark? Is that what it is? Mark, Mark? John who? John, John Mark? Very careful to tell us in the Bible when he's first introduced in Acts chapter 12 that he was John whose surname was Mark, meaning what he became known by was Mark. It was like his nickname. Everybody knew him as Mark. Mark was the name that he went by in church history. By the way, if you study the Gospels carefully, most people agree that there is what we call Markan priority, meaning that it's very likely that Mark wrote the first official account. We know that Luke must have been one of the later ones because he compared all the other uh, 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 testimonies of the Lord Jesus' life. Well, Mark is the shortest one. Mark is the quickest one. Mark, uh, Mark, uh, Mark got the, the, the first edition, if you will, out very quickly to tell people who Jesus was. And you know what thrills me about this? 
Do you know who the Lord primarily used to write scripture? In 2 Peter chapter 1, it is prophets and apostles. And did you know that there was only a couple of men in the New Testament who wrote down scripture that were not apostles? And one of, come on, one of them was John Mark? I don't know about you, that thrills my heart to know that God used a man who wasn't even an apostle, who royally messed up a few years before and still used him to write down, come on, the written word of God. Oh! You say, what are you so worked up about? I'm worked up about the fact that you've got a future. That is what I'm worked up about. I'm worked up about the fact that God can take you and flip you right around and send you in the direction that you... Hey, I'm glad to tell you today that God is a God of second and third and fourth chances, that God's favorite room is the lost and found. He is the God of Rahab. He is the God of, 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 of Ruth. He is the God of David who, who had an adulterous relationship, was still able to raise a Solomon. What I'm trying to tell you, young person, is this. When you mess up, God does not give up on you. And how does he do that? He offers his grace from the hand of a faithful Christian, first of all, letter A. Who was the man that picked him up? Who was the man that risked it all? Who was the man that gave him a second chance initially? You know what his name was? Barnabas. This was Barnabas's track record. Are y'all looking for blanks? Everybody's looking at me. What happened? Did I miss something? Oh, yeah. Don't forgo your God-given second chances. That's number three. Just because you fall doesn't mean you have to quit. Barnabas came right alongside of him and picked him up and moved him on. That's God's grace through the hand of a faithful Christian. Secondly, it's God's grace offered through, the hand of him, through his own faithful hand. It comes through the hand of a faithful God, listen, who picks you up when you fall young person if you don't understand this about god you do not understand the god of the bible we we have so misconstrued mistwisted who god is we sometimes look at god like he is out up there with a baseball bat and as soon as you mess up he's going to knock you right between the eyeballs that is not God. God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and long-suffering. God is there for us to pick us up when we are. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, the same thing is true about his forgiveness and his mercy. Young person, uh, the Bible is very clear. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You can't out God. Because if I understand the Bible correctly, he always shows mercy toward them who come to him in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And he is willing to wipe your little slate off. I don't care what you did in August. He can wipe it all off right now. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you in this room right now, you know what you need? You need a second chance right now. Right now. You got away from camp. You started down the fall. You started down that same road you went down before you even went to camp. You throw your hands up in release like, I can't do this. That's a good place to be. 
because what you are not, he is. And he is willing to forgive, restore, and build you right from where you are and let you be used in a great way in the future. I'm glad, I am glad that God is not primarily in the record-keeping business. I was walking outside my church the other day, and uh, one of my ladies in my church just started coming to church. She, she was filling out a um, background check to serve in our children's ministry. And she was sitting down in her car, and I walked out to take some trash to the dumpster. And when I was walking back, she said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I said, yeah, what's up? She said, look right here. She said, this question says, please list all previous marriages and previous spouses' names. And there were two blanks. She said, Pastor, I am embarrassed to tell you that I think I've been married eight times. I'm really not sure. And the truth is, I don't even remember some of them. She said, what do I do? Can I, can, I, can I still be involved here? I said, have you ever heard of the woman at the well? By the way, Jesus knew exactly where she was, exactly what she had done, still offered her water that would never allow her to thirst again, and by the way, greatly used her in Samaria to bring nearly an entire city to Christ. And sometimes in our fundamental churches, we are so arrogant. I don't know what in the world has happened to us. We see somebody with a tattoo and we get scared. Jesus sees somebody with a tattoo and he gets fired up. And our churches have become little corrals of perfect people who are only perfect on the outside. Another lady came up to my mom. A lady called my wife the other day and said, look, we're... I don't know what to tell you, but I know when you guys do my background screening for children's ministry and nursery, there's going to be some things that come up, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what they are. She said, you're going to find in the last five years that I have drug possession, drug selling, armed robbery, and prostitution all on my rap sheet. I was sitting out in my parking lot just yesterday before I flew here. I pulled up, and I was on the phone with somebody, and I watched this young lady walking in with her dad just during the week. Big old smile on her face. She writes about how much God has changed her life on Facebook all the time. I don't know about you. I'm glad. I am glad that God can take somebody with a past like that and turn them around for his glory. And if you don't believe that, you're in the wrong business in this room. Because that's who God is, and that's what God does. And you may not be as extreme as Priscilla or Alyssa in your life right now, but I'm telling you, on a very small scale for some of you, it matters to you even more because it may not be something like that, but it's that very thing that holds you back. Because when you sin, you're afraid that God's not going to accept you, God's not going to forgive you, and not, God's not going to let you go on. But I'm here to tell you the opposite is true. If you come to him humbly, and you come to him in brokenness, and you come to him, and you bring it to him in confession, and a desire to please him, he is going to start all over again with you, and he can start that even now. 
And this is something you need to tuck away and take with you for the rest of your life. You want to know why? Because you're going to sin more. And you're going to need this message more to remember that God is a God of second chances. Let's pray together.